Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a gorgeous conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. This week, we're savoring the last days of summer with an episode from our archives featuring Sola El Whaley. A few important updates since we spoke in May 2021. Sola's now released three seasons, count them one, two, three, of her history digital series, Ancient Recipes with Sola. She's the guest editor of the upcoming collection, Best American Food Writing 2022, and Taco Bell's Mexican Pizza's back on the menu! <laughs> Yay! We really needed this win, and we really needed to re-air this episode because it is such a classic. We love Sola. We're huge fans. We'll have your first taste of new fall programming next week. For now, here's our episode with Sola El Whaley, where I ask her, how did you develop such amazing taste? Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. I'm so excited for this gorgeous guest who I have been just like really watching for a hot minute. We love, welcome to the show, Sola El Whaley, who is, if you've been living under a rock, a recipe creator, a writer, and a video host. She's currently a resident expert at Food 52 and a contributor to New York Times Cooking and the host of Ancient Recipes with Sola. How are you, Sola? (laughs) I think that's the best intro I've ever had. I feel so pumped. <laughs> oh my gosh, me too. And sidebar, and this is really just a non sequitur. It's out of left field, but is this like Venetian plaster? Is it wallpaper? It's so pretty. Oh. <laughs> these like, it's like this like soft turquoisey, creamy. Oh, yeah. uh, this is the office. It's wallpaper. Ah. And it's like blue smoke. And we did the ceilings too. It makes me feel like really like, like really calm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I like to come here and just like, it it helps me focus. Just stare Uh, at the ceiling. Ah, okay. So I am not trying to do such like a hard right back into my questions, but I'm going to, because we have so much to talk about and um, I'm just too excited about this series, honey, ancient recipes with Sola. (laughs) So can you just tell me where were you? How did you get the idea? You were just minding your own business. And then you were like, like what happened? (laughs) Well, um, History Channel actually has been working on developing this show since like last summer. So long before I was involved. Um, Ah. So they've been working on it for a while and then reached out to me early on this year to host. So a lot of the, the recipes were already researched and they already had like game plan of what we were going to do. Um, but we got picked up for more episodes. Yes, you did. <laughs> and for that round, I'm like going to get to be more involved with the research. And um, we plan- We hope to like level it up. We want to like do some cooking outside over fire. Ooh. Um, yeah, the, the first one, I feel like it was really good considering how quickly everything came together. Because I just <laughs> came in and then we shot it all in like two days. Well, I'm not at all surprised that History Channel pegged you to host it because you are a very versatile cooking queen. You do it all. You know how to do all the things. So I feel like that's important because a lot of these recipes are very, just like varied, different styles, different things. But one question that I had just watching it was like, you learn a lot in the series. So were you always into history? Like, did that always kind of like make you interested? Oh, yeah. When I heard about the show, I was really excited because I love looking up ancient recipes. I think it's just really fun to see how cooking has evolved or in 
a lot of cases not evolved. Like there are certain things that are still done the old fashioned way, like mochi. And I think it's really cool how some of these traditions from centuries ago have survived. Um, but it's also like a really cool way to get to know a culture. In a lot of ancient cultures, it's a lot of stews because everything was like cooked over wood mm. or over like an open fire. And then there's other cultures that have more like baking and they have ovens. So it's I, I've always been super into it. And um, I really I really am into like the kind of weird stuff, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> like like um, there's this uh, ancient cookbook written by a Pieces and it's like ancient Roman cuisine. And they Ooh. have some crazy stuff like uh, I really want to do this, but I don't know if we're going to get to. But they have an aspic structure. So it's like meat gelatin. And then on the inside is a live fish. So it's like an edible aquarium. So I have like a basic question and I'm going to have to ask it because I, it's getting curious and it's fine for me to not know. What's aspic? Aspic is just a jello, but meat, savory meat jello, which was very popular back in the day. I don't think I've ever had a savory jello. Yeah, me neither. That's why I really want to make it. Interest. Yeah. Wait, so now because I was so stuck on what aspect was the whole time, will you just say what like what it was again? It's like a big aspect. What? It's like a big uh, fish tank. Like an edible fish tank. So it's made out of this meat jello and then there's a fish inside. A literal like, fish? Yeah. And this is like a real recipe from ancient times. And I'm like, whoa. Like, a, so is the aspect filled with water? It's like, but it's a dead fish. No, it's like a live fish. No, it's a, it's a live fish swimming around. No! In, in a jello mold. <laughs> so is really the aspect crazy. see-through? Or is it like a, yeah. like a... Yeah, it's a little bit see-through. Yeah. But like meat colored. I am <laughs> gagged, gooped, wasn't ready for it this morning. I didn't see it coming. Okay, wait. So Pompeii, like whenever I see, hear anything about Pompeii, it just makes me like kind of sad. But that cheese bread looked so good. That was really good. And I, th- I thought it was really cool how they actually found fossilized bread in the oven. I mean, the whole story of Pompeii is so interesting because people were like frozen in time and you can actually see the way they lived in a way that you can't with other historical sites. So I, I thought that was crazy that the bread was still in the oven. <laughs> okay, not to be like a gross person who like asks a question like in reference to themselves, but I once did this web series called Gay of Thrones where like I recap, you know, like Game of Thrones in it. Could you ever just, (laughs) could you ever just, could I ever put you on the spot to do like almost like a mini highlight version, like a la Sola on Gay of Thrones, a la your YouTube series, just about like per each one, what was like the most interesting thing that you learned that didn't get on the episode, just like referentially or like that you learned about like the time that you were just like, what? But actually if it took you like 10 minutes, I would really intently listen and like most likely not interrupt. Because I just want to hear you talk about it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So for the first one, solo on Gay of Thrones style recap, what were like all the things about Pompeii? Ooh. <laughs> uh, I, it's crazy. I don't remember. There were so no. many. We did so much so fast. We did six episodes in two days and it's all a blur. It's all just like a big magical blur. Life be like that sometimes. Yeah. I need a journal. <laughs> They say it helps you remember. Um, okay, but so what how, What are, so let's go back. Like, let's like smell the bread in your brain. Let's like think mm-hmm. about those two days. What were some mm-hmm. of the things that you learned about Pompeii that you just thought was much fascinating? Mm. 
Well, they do make a lot of different kinds of cheese. We just did a really simple one um, with just rennet and straining it like a really fresh, soft cheese. But I thought it was interesting how like that's still how you make cheese today. You know, there's Ah. so many things that are still the way you did it back then. Um, And it was super simple, but really delicious because we got we got really good, high quality goat milk. We tried to make it like the way they would actually do it. Um, And then they would eat it with mint and fig and walnuts, which like I haven't I don't really use a lot of mint in my life. But it made me realize I need to use more mint because it just Man. brightened it up in a nice way. And it just gives it like a little bit of a green. Yeah, yeah. It was dried mint, too. But it's like nice freshness to this funky cheese. It worked really well. They would also stamp the bread with um, a stamp to, to like it was like the branding of the Pompeii era. So all the bakeries had their own like stamp and they would brand the bread. Um, so History Channel actually made like a history brand to stamp the bread, which I thought was really fun. How interest because they found those stamps like in the little like in the ruins. Yeah, yeah. Well, the History Channel ordered this stamp from somewhere in the Midwest uh, a while ago, but it was when there was a snowstorm. So it actually didn't arrive oh. for me to use it on set. So they later on added the stamp, but I really, I hope I get to play with that again because it sounds really fun to like brand some bread. I mean, that is fun. Of the six, not to like make you like pick a favorite baby, but did you have one that was accidentally your favorite or that you learned the most on? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the last episode was uh, Ancient Hamburger and it was a Chinese uh, sandwich kind of thing with, uh, it's called Rogiamo, and it was braised uh. pork belly inside of this bread that was like coiled up and kind of flaky. It's almost like an English muffin. You griddle it and then bake it in the oven and it was really tasty. And I actually, I'm going to make that like in my life because it's, it's just flour too. You can just make it's flour and yeast. We have everything. We can oh my do it. God. And then going back to, you were just saying with the cheese, um, how do you make cheese? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to make cheese, but I guess it starts by coagulating milk. So you set the milk into a curd. The milk separates into curds and whey, and then you drain it off. And then like the simplest cheese is that's it. But then you can just take that curd and then age it, put it in brine, use different bacteria to inoculate it. Like stuff like blue cheese or a lot of wash rind cheeses have different Uh, bacteria inoculated into it that helps develop like distinctive flavors. Um, But it all kind of starts with the same way where you, you create this curd and then you do stuff to it. This is another like really random question. And it is like, I don't know, but I I, just having followed you, like, I bet you're going to know what's that thing where you like can take, like if you run out of butter, you can like make your own butter or something. I feel like I saw it on TikTok or something. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, making butter is actually super easy. So butter is just made from cream. So when you milk a cow, (laughs) should we go from the beginning? Yeah, well, I mean, if you don't mind, I feel like I'm asking all these basic ass questions, but I don't know. No, a lot of people don't know. But like, so when you milk a cow, the the cream rises to the top um, and then you skim that off. And then in a lot of industrial manufacturing, you start off by fully separating off the fat and then you have skim milk and then they add 
specific amounts of fat to create 2% or whole or whatever. But then you take your cream and then the way you make butter is you agitate the cream either by like whipping or shaking or in the olden days with like a big churn. Um, and then the cream eventually breaks and you have the butter fat and the whey. And then you just, so you can do this. I, I remember doing this in school. We, we had just like a jar of cream and we just shook it. You just agitate it long enough with a hand mixer, shake it up in a jar, whatever you've got, and then it breaks apart. And then you can strain off the whey and, or that's the buttermilk. Mm. The liquid that's left behind is like, that's the buttermilk. And then you take the solids and you just rinse it in cool water. The buttermilk needs to be fully rinsed off because it can make the butter go rancid. Uh. And then once you just massage it in ice water, keep rinsing it until it's clear. And then you got butter. You can add some salt, put it on bread. Uh. There you go. This one time I had like 2% milk and I, I thought that I could do that and I shook it and like whipped it and whipped it and whipped it and shook it and shook it and shook it <laughs> and nothing ever happened. Cause I think, cause, cause it must not work if you do it with 2% milk. No, the, the, there's not enough fat. You got to do it with cream. Heavy yeah. Cream. I, I thought it was close enough. I didn't realize. So can we, can we talk about that? The gorgeous pizza on a shield. Hmm. How did they do it? What, what did they tell you on that from that History Channel about the shield? They, so what if there was like blood and guts on it from like a battle and then they would just like wash it off and just like grill up a piece of bread on there? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. It it wasn't I thought it was going to be crazy, but it actually it bakes up just like a sheet tray. So it makes uh, sense. Uh-huh. I, I, I want to do that again, like on a fire because they said that the, the soldiers would make these fires and this was just like a quick, easy meal. They would throw the shield on the fire put the bread on there. That bread though, you can still find that bread. It's like pretty common in a lot of um, Persian grocery stores and it's really delicious. So uh, that's like another one that I thought was really cool because it hasn't changed a whole lot. It's still around. Okay. So of these six episodes and then like, just like other ancient recipes that you know about, what would you say are some foods that were just like really commonly used then that was just like, like, you know, how we use like a cottage cheese or just like stuff that's very common now that you just don't hear as much about anymore. Mm. I mean, aspic sticks out to me like a savory meat jello. <laughs> well, I mean, everyone's really into fermented stuff now because we know it's good for you. And I really want to make garum, which is um, this fermented, it's kind of like ancient Roman fish sauce. And they would just like, I've never made it before, but I read some like ancient recipes for it. And it just sounds like you let a bunch of stuff rot. Oh. For a really long time. And then you strain off the liquid and use that. And I'm like, that sounds cool. I want to try that because that's pretty much fish fish sauce. You just salt some fish and it hangs out and it ages. And then you strain off that liquid and it's like magic. So I think garum would be really fun to try. Um, and then I also really want to try one of the ancient ketchup recipes. Is that They're- maybe in the works for, is that the, one of the ones that you really want to do? <laughs> Yeah, we're still we're still figuring out. We're definitely going to do like a grilling blowout for the summer. Um, and we're trying to figure out exactly what we're going to do. Um, I really want to cook a whole lamb over an open fire. But I think we have to figure out the permit situation for that. <laughs> yeah, because you don't want to like start like a whole situation, honey. Like you lose a leg yeah. and then it like, you know, knocks the steak over and then like it's like a fire. Yeah. We can't have it. Yeah, You got to keep it safe. But I yeah. do feel like you could do it. I, I feel like if I feel like you can do it, put your mind to well, it. Yeah. In in South America, they do this thing where they you flay a whole lamb and uh. put it 
you know, like Game of Thrones style. Yeah. Like fr- <laughs> and then you put it on like a, you stretch it out on a, on a wooden thing and then you just have the lamb near the fire and you just keep rotating it and slowly cook it. I would love to try that. Uh, yes. <laughs> it okay, might wait. be a little intense. No, but it's gorgeous. I mean, you know, I just have to like... Yeah, it's weird. Like I was like a like a I read that book Skinny Bitch when I was like 23 and then it like traumatized me and I didn't eat any animal products for like 4 years until this one day. I walked past this like chalkboard that said steamed clams with butter sauce. And next thing I knew, I was at that bar and I was hoovering down steamed clams with butter sauce like they were running away from me. And then next thing I knew, I was like eating a steak. And then next thing I knew, I wasn't a vegan and I've like never looked back. That was like, so, you know, but still sometimes I think, yeah, whenever I hear about like a, I mean, it's interest. It's just, huh. But then it's still interest. And also like I fucking wear leather. So like, what am I talking about? You know what I'm saying? Um, Okay, so I feel like you're adventurous with the stuff that you try. You're like, okay, Gar, I'm like, I'll do some rotted fish stuff. Like, I want to cook with that because, like, you're very sciencey because you really know all the things. But do you have like ever like a, it's gross, but then you just like do it anyway? And what was like the most hardcore time where that ever happened? Or do you just not think things are gross because you're so sciencey? Well, I, I, there are certain things like certain raw things that I'm like, I have a little bit of trouble with, but I'll try it anyways. Like, I don't really like raw squid or raw octopus. And I know that it is like a traditional cuisine in a lot of places, but it's just so much chew. I don't like stuff that's a lot of chew. It's like, oh, and then uh, there's this other thing, sea cucumber. Oh, I've but seen that. It's something that they have in China. And it's just like, it's a lot of chew again. Things that just keep chewing, I struggle with, but I do try it. I always try it. And I think it's just one of those things that like, if you grew up with it, it's a texture you're into. Because you know? uh, it's comforting. You just have to like, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so most favorite food ever of yours? Most favorite food? You could do like I a top a, five if it's too hard or like a top three. <laughs> I eat a lot of cheese. I love cheese. What kind <laughs> of cheese is your favorite? Are you like a blue queen? Or are you like a, like, a, like a cheddar queen, Swiss queen? What kind? I like a nice washed rind like aged cheese, like my favorite is Jasper Hill Farms Harbison. Mm. And when you get it, like when you let it temper really nicely overnight, you slice off the top and you can just like spoon it out. And and it's just like fondue instantly. Can I just say, usually I'm not embarrassed asking what words mean, but there's been like 16 words that you use that like I just tempers. Like that just means like we let something get room temp. Yeah, yeah. Cheese in particular is best if you let it come to room temp before you eat it, because then you can taste all the, like all of the aromas are just like more alive if you let it take the chill off. But like, if I'm being honest, a lot of times I eat cold cheese because that's a lot of planning. Mm. (laughs) It's true. I mean, we, I keep definitely the cheese in the fridge and sometimes you just got to make like some cheese and crackers right away. What would you say for people that are like new to cooking? Like they're just like brand new up in their kitchens. Like they're like, maybe they really resisted in like 2020 and they were like, I don't want to cook stuff at home. And now they're, they've just started or they're <laughs> just still beginners. What are like the things that people do as beginners where you're like, ah, like, ah, don't do the meat and the vegetables on the same cooking thing without cleaning it. Or like, what are like the biggest things that people do? You're like, oh my God, that's food poisoning waiting to happen. Or like, that's going to be horrific. Like, 
what do you ever notice that it's like when I notice like you know when it's like chin strap for me when people cut their like beards yeah. right underneath their jaw like what are the things you <laughs> notice as an expert I didn't know that was the thing you're not supposed to do but well yeah a lot just, of people yeah, do could, that yeah because really like you want it to be like down here where your face meets your neck you don't want it like tracing your jaw because then from the side like uh-huh. this part's lower and then it just like it emphasizes a part that you want to like kind of come in you know this part uh-huh. yeah what are your like your top expert you know cooking things that you don't want beginners to do like most common mistakes that make you cringe well i see a lot of people wash meat which i i don't know how to stop it like a lot of people are convinced you have to wash meat to make it clean but but you're just kind of spreading the salmonella everywhere (laughs) when you wash a chicken or you wash ground beef the water makes everything like splatter and you're not actually killing anything. You can't kill it until you cook it. If you're concerned about um, food safety, you just got get a thermometer and make sure everything's cooked through. But when you wash meat, you're just making, you're making a mess. There's a bunch of videos online where people wash chicken and then they come back in with one of those uh, uh, infrared lights to show you where all the salmonella is. And it looks like a crime scene. Um and if you don't believe me, if you head over to the CDC's website, they have a whole detailed thing about all the reasons why you shouldn't wash your chicken. So I wish people would stop doing that. Do you wash your chicken? You're looking uh-uh. at me like, no, okay. <laughs> but I do worry about it. I mean, whenever like I get it out of the package and I see like the liquid like splatter, mm-hmm. like I do really feel like in my brain, I'm like, the second I get this chicken in the pan, I'm getting my bleach water and like going ham. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I bet I eat a lot of bleach water accidentally. Because I do worry about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think a good way to keep it a little bit clean when you're working with raw meat is I always, um, I open up my meat on a rimmed baking sheet uh. so that it'll just like catch all the juices and it doesn't run all over the place. And then, and then I put it right onto another rimmed baking sheet with a rack. And then if, if it's feeling kind of wet, like if you didn't get a air chilled chicken, sometimes it's a little wet. It's good to dry it off with a paper towel because it's just going to brown better. So when our chicken's very wet, because sometimes when you do get it out, it is just wet up in that pouch. Yeah. You like to, we do want to kind of maybe pat that off with a paper towel. Yeah, yeah. It's going to help you get a really nice sear. It's going to get nice and brown and crusty. But um, yeah, always, always dry your meat. Never wash your meat. Always dry your meat <laughs> and you'll be in a good place. Okay. I have been having this issue with like, mashed potatoes how do you do a mashed potato mashed potatoes i think are like harder than people think yeah i keep fucking them up i keep turning it into gum no matter what i do it turns into fucking gum and all i want is mashed taties very Uh nice homemade mashed taties what am i doing well uh are you using russet potatoes i use any potato i just i i I just i i boil them and then Mm -hmm. i Strain the water and then mm-hmm. I mash it to oblivion and then it's ruined every time. <laughs> well, um, I like to use a, like a creamy, like a Yukon gold potato, but russets are good too if you want like a fluffy kind of situation. And I think it's it's going to take longer, but the best way to make mashed potatoes it's, is to cook it in the oven with the skin on. But if you, it, it does take forever, like lay down a bed of salt Prick your potatoes, put your potatoes on the salt and then let it roast until it's nice and tender and then cut it in half and scoop out the flesh. And it, it's going to, it like concentrates the potato flavor. 
dries it out so you can add more cream and butter. I'm shook. (laughs) And then once you have your cooked potato, um, don't overwork it. The best thing to use is a, a ricer. So it's this, it's like a, it looks like a giant garlic press. You put your potato chunks in there and push down and it pushes it through these little holes. So you get a nice mashed potato without too going in too many times. So if you break up the cell walls of potato, it releases all this starch and it starts to get gluey. Like the worst thing you could do is put it, try and do it with a hand mixer. I've mm. seen some people do that. Mm. That's like instant glue. Mm. That's what I, but it's literally what I use. It's either that or a blender. Yeah, no, like the immersion blender. No. Like, yes. And it, it's glue. It's like no. glue and it's like always ruined. Just, you're better off using a fork or a potato basher. Well, I'm thoroughly gooped and obsessed with that. I have another question about like food things. I love oysters and obviously like, you know, we're not going out to eat as much and hopefully like, mm-hmm. you know, in vaccination land, that's going to change. What about trying like adventurous different things that you like at restaurants, but you like, I don't even know where to buy a fucking oyster. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what we've been doing a lot because we miss eating out. So we're trying to recreate it at home. And um, there's been a lot of new companies that sell stuff online. So you could like get fresh fish delivered. Um, There's this one company that used to supply exclusively to restaurants, but because of the pandemic, they've started to sell to home cooks. Um, This is not sponsored. I don't work for them. It's called Regalis Foods. But if you want to get like any kind of fancy thing, and like splurge, that's the place to go. Like if you want to get uni or good caviar, they have like all of the fancy hams, lots of different seafood. It's a nice way to like treat yourself. It is pricey, but it's like a nice, give yourself the eating out experience in. I want oysters out, but in. Like I yeah, just want to like yeah. put on some ice and like put on all the little sauces and like, yeah, you know, have fun with some little oysters, not the big ones, but little ones. Uh. Yeah. And I think it's really fun to... Pop your own oysters. So, oh, okay. I'm going to take too much time on that. I need to get back to your, to the series. (laughs) So what did you learn so far about contemporary cooking from the series? Like what do people glean about now from then? And what did you glean about now from then? What I've learned is that a lot of the food we're used to now, like fluffy white bread or um, soft cakes and things like that, it really depends on uh, modern tools and ingredients, you know, like they didn't have baking powder back then. So if you buy raw GMO today in China, that dough is going to be a little bit fluffier and softer because they use baking powder. And back then they just did yeast. Everything was just like hardier, you know, dense. They lived, they lived hard. <laughs> that makes sense. I love that story. Okay. I have a, this is like another hard left. Bear with me. Are you familiar with Taco Bell? Oh, yes. I love Taco Bell. Wait. <sighs> so my dad actually worked at Taco Bell for 25 years. So Do people know Taco this? Bell. No, I don't think people know this. Yeah. So you like, because I grew up like on some Taco Bell. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Deep comfort, like comfort in all seven chakras immediately. Some people will be like, oh, Taco Bell hurts my stomach. I'm like, Taco Bell will cure a stomach flu in me. Like if there's <laughs> something crazy going on with my stomach, like, and I like Taco Bell is actually like an equalizing force in my diet because my body is like so integrated with it. I just feel like we are one. We are mm-hmm. one Taco Bell and I. 
So I'm sure that if since you love Taco Bell, you, we all, you know, 2020 was an intense year. A lot happened. But one thing that happened that did not get the press coverage. And, you know, I think in hindsight, it really makes a lot of sense why it didn't get the press coverage because there was like a lot more important things going on. <laughs> but sometimes like, you know, joy is important. And one of my joys was uh, the Mexican pizza. Did you like the Mexican pizza? The Mexican pizza was my standard order. I always got the Mexican pizza. So I'm very upset. I don't know. Like, why did they get rid of it? They have all of the ingredients to make it. I don't. I I honestly cannot wrap my head around it to the point where it just occurred to me. We should probably try to get like some executive from Taco Bell who makes those decisions and like get them on getting curious and give them the Judge Judy riot act and really just do a you can't handle the truth. (laughs) I don't know what they're thinking. It just doesn't. It's a great, great menu item. It was crispy. It was soft. It was that and the double-decker taco are the two things that I can't get over. And I think what that tells me is that, like, I do love, like, crunchy but soft at the same time. But, again, the question is, I swear to God I can ask questions. I do this sometimes. How can we recreate a Mexican pizza? Is it even possible? How do they source those I don't know if it's like cheap ingredients that taste expensive. I don't know if it's cardboard cheese. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's NASA meat. What is it? Or is it just normal meat? What is it? <laughs> I don't know if it's meat. <laughs> but some like I, dehydrated cardboard chopped up with some garlic powder. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the magic about the Mexican pizza is the, the tortilla, like the tostadas that they use because they're so light and crisp, but I I really, I really wanted to make it myself. So I, I remember like looking it up because it tastes like it's a flour tortilla, right? Because it's so light and crisp. It's not like the dense corn tostada you get, but it's 100% corn. Ah! It is corn. So I think my guess is that it's very, very high hydration. If you have more liquid in your dough, it like it's lighter and you get more like bubbles and puffs like that. When you're making like a tostada at home, like the traditional way with a tortilla press, you can't have your dough be too wet or it's going to stick and like make a mess. It's like, it's just like the ancient recipes. The key to their corn tortilla or tostada is the, they probably have like really fancy machines that extrude the dough and can like, I think, I don't know. I haven't been to a Taco Bell factory, but that's what I'm guessing. I think that they use a special extruder for a very high hydration um, tostada dough. And that's how they get it so light and crisp because I, if you just take a regular tostada and put them on top of each other like that, it's too much. It's too heavy. Could we make a very wet dough and then just like plop it on a very like hot frying pan, like almost like a pancake, but but skinnier or something? Oh, like a crepe, like a corn Yeah, crepe. but like, yeah, like, do you think that could, could do it? Yeah, I think it's worth trying. Totally. I mean, how are we going to do it? I wonder once we get vaccinated, if that's really our truth, is to like figure out the world again. Because also, Hardee's, which I think I said this on this podcast, and then like we had edited out like 75,000 times, but like I realized <laughs> that they were like covert Trump supporters. So that was like another like one two punch for me, like in 2020. But they mm-hmm. also discontinued the uh, cinnamon raisin biscuit, which was like equally as comforting and like one with my intestines as like Taco Bell. It just really made me feel whole and complete. And that's another thing. I've never thing had that, that before. 
it, um, you know, like, so it's like, you know, like, you know, like bacon, egg and cheese biscuit, like a breakfast biscuit, mm-hmm. that, like an American one, not a British one, like that you would get at like a fast food place. So it's a fluffy buttermilk biscuit, but mm-hmm. infused with tons of cinnamon, sugar, and then raisins, and then covered in a liquid hot. If you touch it when you first get it from a Hardee's, like it will fucking mm-hmm. take your skin off. So do not <laughs> touch it. Like, and like, and sometimes like the outside of that icing would form like a very light filmy case. And then there would be a volcanic magma breakthrough of the liquid hot icing from the inside that would burgeon Whoa. out and like would burn you. But it was, it was so worth it. Like I have had blisters on my hands in so many different eras from trying to like palm a cinnamon raisin biscuit like whilst driving because I couldn't even wait to get home I mean just I mean just coming unglued yeah they're gorgeous and now I've said it to you and you probably won't ever have one because they were fucking discontinued and replaced with a shitty basic cinnamon roll that they've never even had before I'm off track but so is, is your professional opinion is what I'm hearing you say about the Mexican pizza that it could be almost impossible to replicate that Taco Bell sort of crispy perfection at home because we don't have like an industrial extruder, which is another one of the list of words that. (laughs) I think that like, unfortunately with so many of these fast foods and like packaged goods, it's so hard to recreate at home because they're just heavily dependent on machinery, you know, (laughs) but I want to try. I really want to try. I like the idea of going for like a batter. I thought that I was envisioning like of something really like wet and like I don't know what they're called, but if you just like and it, you know, like kind of melted into like a and uh-huh, like went very uh-huh. flat because it was very like runny. Mm-hmm. But I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. And I literally I like, don't know. I think I want to try that. Like cook, cook like a make like a a masa crepe batter. And then cook that and then deep fry it. And hopefully we get all those bubbles. And then we just put our meat and our refried beans on it. And then we cover it in cheese. And then we put other stuff on it. And it's so tasty. I feel like my favorite thing about the Mexican pizza is that it was just so fun to eat it. You know, if it's like a nice clean eating experience, you feel fancy. Oh, my God. Wait, but does your dad, he doesn't still work there. No, no, but he did until I was like eight years old and then they got a Baskin Robbins. So I'm I'm like very into this world of food. I fucking <laughs> love Baskin Robbins. <laughs> you really had like a, no wonder you turned out to be obsessed with food. You just had like access to like some of the most tastiest American classics <laughs> like Taco Bell and Baskin Robbins. It's a wrap. I'm actually really impressed because like I would have never been able to have escaped. I really wouldn't have. So congratulations. <laughs> I like I think like, that's major. So I think one thing after just watching the way that you approach writing and food, it really inspires me because you are so curious and you're such an expert, but I think it's you have such an approachability to the way that you approach food because you are a literal expert at it, but you still have this like joyful curiosity when you approach it. I don't it. think I'm an expert. I really don't like to think of myself as an expert. I know everyone calls me an expert, but I just, I like to keep learning, you know? I do too, but I will, yeah. I'm going to call you out on one little teeny tiny thing that Taylor Swift did to me this one time. Okay. So this one time, <laughs> Taylor Swift came to my house, literally, and she made me this like coconut 
lentil, amazing like stew. She's like the most amazing cook. And she like made me this like coconut lentil stew with like sour cream. And it was like so good on it. And then we were talking about like fame and I said like, oh God, like, cause like, I was like, I, I hate referring to myself as like a celebrity or like famous. It still like sends chills down my spine. Like, cause it makes me feel like someone's going to like judge me or make fun of me for like referring to myself as that. And mm-hmm. she was like, honey, like you are though. So I don't know why you're even regaling me with this. I mean, I'm paraphrasing there, but she was like, you are. So like, you don't really need to like, you're past that. Like, you know, I've been famous since I was like 16. So like, yeah, it's like, I, I it just, you know, the sky's blue clean. Like I'm famous. You're famous. And so <laughs> you're an expert at food because you are, I mean, I mean, you like you are literally and even compared to anyone else. And then just like also because you are. So sometimes when you put in that 10,000 hours, Queen, you can't help it that you mastered a like. But that also doesn't mean you can't keep improving and keep learning. But I will just say, even though you don't want to refer to yourself as an expert, as someone who's been watching, I can verify that you are a literal expert. So, OK, and that's fine. And I just want to. I just want to hear about how you came up with that and just some of like your life philosophies of how you became so fucking cool. I, I mean, uh, I don't think I'm cool, so I don't know. Maybe that's <laughs> why we think you're so cool because you just are um, passionate about what you're passionate about and you do what you do. And that's really lovely. Well, it's kind of weird because I've always been like growing up, people thought of me as like kind of weird because I just was super into my hobbies, you know? Um, and now all of a sudden my hobbies are cool, you know? So it felt like it happened overnight because I I used to be really embarrassed about cooking. My mom would throw a lot of dinner parties. Um, she loved, she's an amazing, amazing cook. And, um, I would always help and make some, I'd make the appetizers and desserts, but I'd always tell her, please don't tell anyone I made this. Like, please, no one needs to know that I did it. I was so embarrassed and so ashamed And it was like overnight, it became cool to do this. And I'm still the same loser. You know what I mean? (laughs) Deep down inside, I'm still a nerd. (laughs) So I'm I'm surprised to hear ashamed come out, like come out. Because it's like, why? Because you just, is it because it was so good that you were like, I don't want people to know how good I am? Or were you worried that they were going to judge you or something? No, it just wasn't like a normal thing for a kid to do back then. You know, all the kids did things like, I don't know what kids did. They were up they, on the AAIM, you know, messaging folks. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's definitely what I, because where did you grow up? I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. That's in, in LA. California. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so Midwestern. Yeah. I grew up on a cornfield. I still like, even though I lived in LA for nine years, I still struggle with like neighborhoods. So that's just like literally the valley. <laughs> like when I used to like. Yeah, the valley. Oh my God, an LA native. That's why you're fucking cool. LA natives have been through it. All that traffic and all those people. I mean, so you are, that actually makes so much sense to me. I always notice that my favorite clients from when I did hair all the time were my LA native people. Most cool, most laid back. Cause you've just been like, I mean, cause I, and, and you went through that earthquake probably when you were little, like, yeah, uh, yeah they're yeah. just like, we, we yeah. lived in the epicenter. Our whole house fell down. It, was it crazy. did not. In the Northridge <laughs> earthquake when you were a little girl? Yeah, we, we had just moved into that house like two months before the earthquake. And it was just really sad because it was my parents' first house. And literally everything, like all of the exterior walls collapsed. All the windows broke. There are cracks running. There's still cracks that they haven't been able to afford to repair. But um, 
eh, you know, at least we didn't have any furniture yet. <laughs> I didn't see it coming. So you guys survived that and your house got all messed up. That's so dev. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, the great thing was, though, we um, my dad had a heart attack during the earthquake. And oh. and then my mom um, and I was like seven or eight. Um, my sister was young, too. And my mom had to, like, run out and turn off the gas line on her own. And like the bricks were falling on her. And then the whole neighborhood was concerned because we didn't leave our house yet. And they all came together to help us, which was incredible. And I still remember that. And there was a doctor in the neighborhood who ran over with his like little doctor kit and helped us out. Did your house get the most messed up like on the block? No, it was it was everyone's house was messed up. But I guess because um, because my dad had a heart attack, too, like they all dropped everything to come help us, even though they were in trouble, too. So that was just like an incredible moment because we didn't know any of these people. We just moved in and. It was just, uh, it was, it's crazy. I, I love how people come together, like in the worst situations. Like we were here during Sandy in New York and it was just like the most beautiful thing. Everyone who had power put power strips out so other people could charge their phones. Oh. I don't know. The, the, whenever stuff like this happens, it makes you realize everyone's great. <laughs> you know what I mean? That is so sweet. I didn't expect to have that moment in our interview. <laughs> Sorry. Didn't see coming. I will say, no, I know I love it. But I will say this. I hope they, from our first time getting to like really chat, and it, I hope it's the first of very many. Um, It reminds me of my little cousin, Sullivan. She was like, she's so cute. She's She was like the student council president, like 16 million years in a row. She's so funny. So she has an older sister who's my same age. And we used to like make up dances and we were like, you can't learn the dance with us because you're not like, you know, you're like two years younger. And like, we were like mean to her when we were like little, because like, you know, like little kids are mean. And then all of a sudden, like two years later, she was just like, fuck you, you guys aren't even that cool. And I always have felt like I've always been like reasonably sure since I was like 10 and she was eight. And like, she's way cooler than we will ever be. And she, and <laughs> she was, she, cause like, and she, and she, and I, I, you kind of, you and my little cousin Sullivan, like are giving me similar vibes. Like you actually, that has always made you cool that you knew what your passions were and that you knew what like made you really like, you know, interested. And I also think that we're the same age. Cause I think I was also seven in 1994. Oh, yeah. <laughs> were you born in 1987? In 1985. Oh, I think you were like, Nine and nine. Yeah. I don't but whatever. We're still like very same generationally. That's so cute. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. Now I, I think I only have two more questions. What is the thing that you want more people to learn? This is a very different question, but I learn or try when it comes to cooking. Mm, I, I think the main thing, I feel like it's hard right now if you're learning how to cook because of social media. I think it's like too much of an influence on people. Um, and I think a lot of people are like stunted because of it because you're, you're really concerned with making stuff look nice. And I, I want people to try ugly food. Ugly food is delicious and it's like getting forgotten. You know, things like stews and braises, they don't get any love. It's, you know, like video killed the radio star. I feel like social media is killing the cook because we're just worried about making things that look pretty. And a lot of delicious food doesn't look pretty. So I want people to try stuff that that they're not going to photograph, you know, go make some Japanese curry. <laughs> you know, 
Yes, which also, I'm obsessed with that answer so much I can't stand it, but that also brought up another question I forgot to ask. What is mochi? How? What is that? Because I oh. love it. <laughs> but what is it? Mochi is crazy because it's just rice. It's just rice that's pounded. I think it's so cool because you're just taking this one thing and just doing something to it and it turns into something totally different. But okay, it's- wait. That frozen, <laughs> that frozen, like, strawberry mochi or, yeah, like, yeah. the... Like that frozen little ball of like ice cream stuff. Mm-hmm. That's rice. Well, the the ice cream is ice cream, but like the the chewy the chewy dough around it is made with just rice. So it's it's a short grain rice that's very sticky. Um, and then <sighs> traditionally you just pound it and pound it and pound it. But nowadays people make rice flour and then hydrate it, and it it just has this like chewy sticky texture. And the, I actually, like, after doing that episode, um, some people reached out to me to tell me that they actually have mochi in other cultures, too. I didn't even know. But in Bangladesh and India, um, a lot of the regions there have a kind of mochi that they make with the first harvest, early harvest rice. They don't have the same kind of sticky rice, but the early harvest rice, I guess, you can pound and get a similar texture. So I thought that was really cool that they they have the same thing in so many different places. Oh my God, I love that. That kind of reminds me of um, Elizabeth Gilbert's book about like how like, if you look through history, there's been like a lot of incredible ideas, even like before telephones and before internet, like that populated at the same time, like across mm-hmm. the world from each other. Like mm-hmm. just, just to kind of illustrate like human connectivity. Okay, so Yogini Recess, is there anything that we would just be, like, remiss? Like, what's coming up for you? You're going to do another series of gorgeous ancient recipes with Sola. Um, But is there any, like, Yogini Recess that you would just be remiss not sharing with us that we, like, just didn't go over? I'm working on a book. That's, that's happening. When's it out? Do we know? Well, the goal is for it to come out next fall, but I... Yes. I... I just keep going down these like rabbit holes, like, and I don't get anything done. I'll be like, I just discovered this cool thing about rye flour. And then I'll just like go into this rye flour. Like I was thinking I want to do a series on my Instagram called Solo Procrastinates where I'm <laughs> supposed to be working on my cookbook and I just like find something else interesting that I just, just keep digging at it. Maybe people will be interested in that. I don't know. <laughs> I, w- I would. I would watch it. I totally. Are you a scheduler? Do you like to schedule or is that not like your thing? I I do. I start the week with a schedule and then it completely goes away because I just like I like to go with what I'm the most like interested in in the moment. And sometimes Ugh. you don't know what it's going to be until you start working. Oh, my gosh. When your book is a number one best fucking seller because it's so good because you realize that, like, that's how you create best. Will you please, like, let me interview you, like, once on your um tour? I, I want to do this, like, every week. This is great. <laughs> I feel it. I feel it. So I love you so much. Thank you so much for giving us your time and coming on the show. We love you so much. I can't wait for this episode. I can't wait for the next episodes of your series. I just love you so much. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm such a big fan. So this is great. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of you. I want to cook for you one day. That's the goal. You, we will have to cook together <laughs> in New York. When I'm there, we have to hang. Yeah, for sure. And we'll cook. I'm so, I'm into it. Yeah. Ah. 
You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. Our guest this week was Sola L. Whaley. You'll find links to her work and the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Free by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and please show them how to subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CuriousJBN. Our editor is Andrew Carson. Getting Curious is produced by me, Erica Ghetto, and Zara Krim.